calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to episode 16 of Quarter Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Previously on Quarter Share. Even assuming I could talk France down to something like 300, I had a hard time imagining I could find a flea market buyer in St. Cloud who'd pay the kind of money it would take for decent margin. I strapped it on to see how it fit just as Bev came out of the sand. She froze and stared. I realized that I was standing there with my belt riding low around my hips, wearing nothing but my ship tee and boxers. And he tossed three smooth stones onto the table. They were flattened and rounded stones and naturally looking rounded shapes. None of them was more than three centimeters across. Each had a hole bored widthwise through the top. I picked one up and didn't want to put it down. The stone slid smoothly under my fingers as I rubbed it. Chapter 26, Marguerite System, 2352, January 15. We pulled out of Marguerite on time the evening the next day. The captain scheduled it for just after dinner so we didn't have to lay on the bento boxes, but Cookie called the captain and offered to distribute coffee and cookies at 2100. That was about halfway through the evolution and it was appreciated by a lot of bleary-eyed spacers who'd celebrated portside until the last possible tick. Around 22.30 we set the watch, and I could almost hear Lois sigh as we settled into the normal routine of sailing between the stars. It didn't often strike me, this romantic notion that we were out here in our little ship, spreading our sails to catch the solar wind. But when it did, I remembered a snatch of ancient poetry that my mother used to recite to me, as a kind of lullaby, when she tucked me in. I must down to the seas again, to the lonely sea and the sky, and all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by. It seemed we'd barely got underway when we were at the St. Cloud transition. Pip and I convened what we were calling a steering committee on the first day out of Marguerite and invited Beverly, Diane, Francis, Roan, and Biddy. We agreed that finances should come as part of a sales fee and that everybody liked the 1% capped at 10 creds. Biddy wanted to cap it at 20 and Francis wanted 5 because we only need to cover expenses, not build retirement accounts. In the grand scheme of things, we decided that we'd go with 10 to begin with because we're considering what we needed as contingency funding and didn't know, really, how much we'd need as startup. Diane pointed out, you'll have less argument if you decide to reduce it later than if you try to raise it. Nobody had a good answer to that, so we left it at 10. 
The stickiest issue was the idea of consignment. Beverly brought the idea up about two days out of Marguerite. What if somebody has stuff to sell but doesn't want to sit around the booth to sell it? If we're going to be there anyway, could we have an arrangement to sell it for them? Maybe take a flat percentage for doing it? Roan objected, but we're doing the work and they're getting the benefit. We threw different ideas around, including reduced fees for working the booth, or a stipend per stand. The last wasn't popular because it increased overhead without assuring revenue. At the moment we were stymied on it, but we all agreed that we probably should find some kind of solution. I knew from my brief experience in Marguerite that we needed some kind of system of coverage and that obligation should carry some benefit. My time in the booth in Marguerite had been fun, but if we were going to do this as a regular thing, I didn't want to be stuck doing it all the time, and I didn't think anybody else would either. We'd no sooner secured from transition stations in the afternoon when my tablet bipped with a request from the captain to meet with her at your earliest convenience, which I'd long since learned was officer speak for get your butt over here. Pip and I had a similar message, so we hustled to the captain's cabin. When we entered, we found the captain, Mr. Maxwell, and Mr. Cotton seated around her small conference table. The captain indicated the empty seats and said, Sit, gentlemen, it's time we talked. For my part, I was a bit nervous. I'd been looking forward to talking over our scheme with the captain. Having spent some time looking into her background and that of her great-grandmother, I felt I had some idea of what we should be doing, but I wanted to talk to her about it. Seeing the first mate and cargo chief here made me think she had some ideas of her own. Out of the corner of my eye I could see Pip keeping a straight face, but he kept wiping his palms on the sides of his ship suit. We sat, of course, and waited. The captain started right in. So, gentlemen, how was the flea market? I glanced at Pip, and he nodded, so I started first. Well, sir, you saw our first day's efforts, and besides being somewhat unprepared, Pip snorted quietly, we did pretty well. We traveled in pairs, and the people who participated that first day were very satisfied. Pip picked up then. I took the second day along with three other crew, and we all sold all of our trade goods. Miss Shaw and Miss Murphy both indicated that they were pleased with the outcomes. The captain nodded. And the third and fourth day? We didn't have any more goods to sell, nor did we identify any other crew members who might have used the booth, so we didn't set up those days, I said. We used them to research and purchase cargoes for St. Cloud. Mr. Maxwell spoke quietly. That included visiting the mushroom processing facility? I tried to keep my voice flat when I replied, Yes, sir. The captain continued, And what have you learned about running the booth? Pip answered, That it's not as easy as it looks, and if we're going to do this kind of group activity for the benefit of the crew, then we need to be more organized. The captain nodded. I see, she said, and I concur. You've formed a steering committee to start this process rolling? Yes, sir, I said. I can give you the names. She shook her head. No, that's not necessary. I'm more interested in what you've been thinking about. I continued. We realize that if we're going to be successful, we need to be professional and systematic. Part of that is maintaining economic viability. We need to pay our own freight, as it were. How do you propose to do that? Mr. Cotton asked. Pip replied, By taking a commission on all sales in the booth. One percent of sales, capped at ten creds per person. You can sell as much as you like, but you owe the co-op one percent of it, up to ten creds. After that, you can keep it all. I'm familiar with the concept, Mr. Costas. Yeah commented Mr. Cotton. Pip blushed. Of course, sir. Sorry, sir. The captain looked like she was suppressing a grin, but she asked me, and what have you decided about booth coverage and consignment sales? Well, sir, we know we need to split the days up. Our normal import duration is four-plus days. If we had four people as designated booth managers, we could assign either a day or split the days, so nobody had to do a whole day, but covered two halves. 
We have four people, but we need to check watch schedules against the volunteers to make sure we're distributed properly among the watches. She nodded. And consignments? Pip stepped in with, We're deadlocked on that one just now, sir. We're thinking a heavy increase in commission, of course, but the notion of we work and they profit is getting in the way. Problem is, the commission goes to the co-op, but the people doing the work aren't getting anything from it. So you're not paying the booth managers, the captain asked. Pip and I both shrugged. That was raised at the last meeting, but we didn't come up with any solutions, Pip said. How would your great-grandmother have done it, sir? I asked, before I really considered what I was saying. The captain smiled, though, and said softly, She'd have split the commission between the booth and the managers. Yes, it was obvious as soon as we heard it, and I suspect Pip was kicking himself as hard as I was. Mr. Maxwell broke in at that point and asked, What will you spend the money on? Pip handled that one while I untied my tongue. We need to cover booth rentals. They won't all be as straightforward as Marguerite, I expect. We also need some booth fixtures to keep from looking like complete rubes. The captain appeared to sneeze quietly at that point and covered her mouth and nose with her hand. Rubes, Mr. Costas? Mr. Maxwell asked. Yes, sir. Most booth vendors have display racks, signage, even chairs. The pros have them all set up on a grav pallet, and all they do is float in, lock down, and begin selling. That first day, we wouldn't have even had a tablecloth if not for the banner. The captain interrupted at that point. So you're planning on purchasing all this with the proceeds from the booth? I sighed. That's our problem, Captain. The creds we can cover. We probably can't afford a grav pallet right away, but the other stuff is relatively easy to come by except for the mass. The mass, she asked. Yes, sir. All that stuff has mass, and somebody needs to book it on the ship. None of us have mass allotment high enough to cover it all. How are you going to deal with that? Mr. Maxwell asked. Well, short term, I answered. Signs we'll make on station and leave there. Signboards and markers are pretty cheap and become disposable. Chairs will rent as well along with the table. It'll add to the overhead. In fact, almost double the daily rental, but worth it. We have tablecloths now, in addition to banner clips, so we're good there. Pip added, we're planning on buying a couple extra duffel bags for transportation when we get to St. Cloud. We don't have spare mass for even a couple cargo totes, let alone a grav pallet. The captain asked, what about renting a grav pallet as well? We looked at that, sir, Pip said. They're expensive compared to the booth rental, but if this works out, perhaps we can do that downstream, yes. Mr. Cotton, the captain asked, does the ship have a grav pallet they might rent? I'm sorry, Captain, no. In port we need every pallet we can find. He pulled up his tablet and consulted an inventory. We do, yeah, we do have one that is scheduled for scrap, yeah. Uh, it was supposed to have remained in Marguerite, in fact, yeah. She nodded thoughtfully, and I had a very odd feeling she had known all along. What's the mass on a grav pallet, Mr. Cotton? Uh, fifty kilos, Captain, yeah, he replied instantly. She turned to the first mate, then, and said, Mr. Maxwell, does Lois have sufficient mass in her allotment to cover fifty kilos? Yes, Captain, she does, he replied smoothly. Well, then, I think we have the grav pallet problem solved, she said, with a little self-satisfied shrug. I'm very pleased with the progress you gentlemen in your group have made. A captain likes to keep the crew happy. Busy, but happy. She looked around, first at Mr. Maxwell, and then Mr. Cotton. Is there any other business for these two spacers, gentlemen, she asked. "'No, Captain,' they said in near unison. "'Very well.' She turned to us. "'Thank you for coming, gentlemen. I appreciate your diligence.' We stood and started out, but at the door to the cabin, the captain asked, "'Oh, what are you calling this enterprise of yours?' Pip and I glanced at each other, and I told her. "'The McKendrick Mercantile Cooperative, of course. I understand it has a proud tradition, sir.' She grinned. 
Is Mr. Wong? It does indeed. Thank you, gentlemen. We beat a hasty retreat from officer country, and the whole way back to the galley, Pip kept shaking his head and making little tisking sounds. What's the matter? I finally broke down and asked as we stepped into the galley. Split the commission! How stupid can we be? I chuckled. I don't know about you, but I've got a proud history of being pretty stupid. Hmm. Maybe I'm catching it from you, then. Cookie was standing there icing a cake for dinner and looked up at Pip. No, Mr. Costes, you've always had a very healthy amount of your own, he said with a wicked grin. And if you're finished lazing about, number one coffee urn is out again. Chapter 27. Marguerite's System. 2253. January 15. After evening cleanup, I settled on the mess deck with my handbook and a cup of coffee. The quarterly exams were a few days away, and while I was pretty solid with the food handler test, I'd barely looked at the ordinary spacer exam. It was huge. Everything that wasn't in one of the other exams was in deck. Ship configurations, basic communications, watch standing schedules, mess deck duties, helm watch standing orders, gangway watch standing orders, breakdown of line and support. My brain just went and shut down. Sandy found me sitting there, just staring into my tablet and not moving half a stand later. Ish, she waved a hand in front of my face. Ish, you okay? Oh yeah, Sandy, thanks. I just realized how much is on this deck exam. I smiled. It flipped me out for a bit. The test is in ten days, and I was thinking to take this and the food handler exam. She chuckled. You are a glutton for punishment, aren't you? Didn't you just take cargo and engineering last cycle? I nodded. She looked over my shoulder at the tablet. Well, this isn't so bad, she said. I'm finally taking my Astrogation two exam this time. Once you start specializing, it gets a lot harder. Look, she pointed at the port starboard item. If you don't know that already, you're just so much congealed seawater. I chuckled. Well, that's true. And tell me you haven't absorbed the watch standard schedule. What watch are we on now? Evening, but... See? Look, this isn't that hard. Exams aren't for ten days. What else have you got to do? But look at all these standing orders. How am I supposed to memorize all that? She punched the button and brought up the first set of standing orders. There were ten of them, but when I read them, they were common sense. She'd brought up the gangway watch standing order, and it started with, Watch standards will report to duty stations 15 ticks before the change of watch to assure a smooth transition of duty. Hmm. This doesn't look all that hard, I told her. You've been hanging around with Pip too much, she teased. Maybe you should spend more time with Beverly. I'm pretty sure I blushed. Look, she said, pat me on the shoulder. You know how to eat an elephant? Yeah, one bite at a time, I replied. Okay, dig in. I bet you can finish this one in a couple of days. I flipped back and forth a couple of times and began to realize she was right. The list was long, but the individual items on the list were small. A lot of it I did know already, through having lived aboard for, God, could it have been almost five months? I nodded slowly. You're right. I don't know what happened there. My brain just kind of seized up. Hmm, she said in a speculative tone. You've been up since, uh, 0500 and worked all day. Yeah. I hear you had a little interview with the captain this afternoon. Yeah. I understand the co-op is shaping up. Mm, yeah, it is. Well, then, let me ask you this. Do you think maybe you should get some sleep? It's almost midwatch. I chuckled, which would make it nearly midnight, and I've got to get up at dark 30. She laughed then. It's all dark out here, but, yeah. I'm off watch myself in a few minutes, and I better not find you on the track. Okay, sheesh. I laughed and stood up, grabbing my tablet. Thanks, Sandy. Hey, no problem, miss, she said, headed out the door. Sleep well. 
When I got to the birthing area, Pip and Bev were both there and already asleep. As I settled onto my own bunk, I heard the little snorty snores through the petition and thought, one bite at a time, before I fell asleep. So the next couple of days I focused on my exams and let Pip worry about the steering committee. He kept me filled in on it while we were on the serving line and during cleanup. They liked the idea of splitting the commissions, but we were hung up on whether to split all of them or only the consignment sales. Eventually they agreed to split them all and to put a 10% no-cap commission on consignments. I wasn't sure, but that seemed about right to me. Beverly and Roan wanted more, but Diane and Francis wanted less, so it was a compromise. Personally, I liked the idea of splitting them all. Of course, we already decided that Booth Manager wasn't subject to the 1% sales commission anyway. It was a way to get more people to volunteer to be Booth Managers. Adding the commission split between Manager and the co-op, we were developing a nice economic model that gave everybody who was working for the greater good a little more than the people who were working just for themselves. I got through all the ordinary spacer materials with a couple of stands of work, took a practice test with a 75% score. Good, but not good enough to pass. I took a break and ran quickly through the food handler again just to refresh myself. I tested at 94%. By the end of the second day after transition, I was passing both tests consistently, and I messaged Mr. Von Nichols to let him know I'd be taking both deck and steward tests. Sandy caught up with me after cleanup a couple nights after that. How you doing, she asked. You still have a few days to study. You need help on the deck part? It's going well, I think, I told her. Of course, I won't know until I take the test next week. Too true, she said with a chuckle. How are you doing, I asked her. You've been studying for astrogation ever since I came aboard. She smiled. That's normal. I'd only just made third before Neris. After you make full share, you're going to need to pick a skill specialty and work up through that ranking system. Yeah, I saw that in the handbook, but there's nothing that says I have to go beyond full share. Well, the extra mass is nice, she said, and I suspect you'll be full share before you know it. Look what happened with Pip. True, I said, true. Well, if you have a couple of minutes, would you drill me on the deck stuff and see if I'm ready? Sure, I'd be happy to, she said, and she took my tablet. For the next twenty ticks, she asked me questions and I gave her answers. It was fun. She had that same dry wit that Diane had and a take-no-prisoners attitude that reminded me of Beverly. After twenty ticks, she said, All right, you just qualified for Able Spacer. I think you can pass the ordinary test. We laughed, and I thought she was joking until I got my tablet back from her and looked to see the testing pool she'd been drilling me from. That made me feel a lot better. On test day, I reported to Mr. Von Nichols at the appointed stand, and he joked, You got your frequent testing card? I can give you a discount. I chuckled and said, Sorry, I must have left it in my other ship suit. You sure you want to do this, he said? Well, what's the worst that can happen? You might not pass. And? Yeah, he said, I know, but I have to ask. If you're ready, and we began. Some indeterminate time later, from my perspective, I heard him say time, I put my stylus down, and looked up at him. Are you some kind of machine? he asked with a smile. I have never seen anybody disappear into a test like you do. Let me ask, what test did you just take? I was still coming back to reality, and I said, uh, ordinary spacer? He laughed. You don't sound too sure for somebody who's been answering questions for almost a full stand. Wasn't it? I asked, getting nervous now. He nodded. Yeah, that's probably the hardest test. How'd you do? Just you tell me. I'm not even sure what test I took, I grinned. He pulled up his display and showed me. Ninety-six. Congratulations, Mr. Wong. You are now rated ordinary spacer, and I will so note it in your jacket this afternoon. Thanks, I said. Steward tomorrow. You'll have collected a full set. Do you have the commemorative binder? What? Sorry. Joke, he replied. I laughed. I get it. It just took me a tick to process what you said. I'm still a little groggy from the test, I think. Mr. Von Nichols smiled. Well, I mean it. 
I've seen a lot of people take this test, and you slide into some kind of zone, a world unto yourself. You didn't even see Mr. Maxwell come in, did you? I shook my head. No, I didn't. Or the captain? I shook my head, becoming alarmed now. Kidding, he said. The captain didn't come in. I laughed. Thank you, sir. I'll see you tomorrow. The rest of the day went by in one of those strange fogs where you get to the end of the day and, and you know you've done something, but you can't remember what. I knew about the test, but nothing else seemed to have stuck. I had a vague sense that I'd helped Pip and Cookie with lunch and clean-up, and I'd even done a run in a sauna instead of studying on the afternoon break. After dinner, I made one last pass through the food handler test and hit the rack early, where I found myself in one of those strange fogs. Breakfast was pancakes and waffles. Cookie went overboard with the hot fruit compotes in several flavors, along with the usual selection of pork products. Myself, I'd have preferred a nice cheese omelet with some mushrooms. But the waffles with grand apple compote were very good. Cleanup was easy, and Pip and I were trading off on filling coffee these days. We had it down to a science. After finding the proper grind and proportion, those we standardized early on, the rest was just keeping the urns clean and the brew water cold. We had made some adjustments when we stopped drinking the Arabasti, but less than I'd thought. When it came right down to it, the two weren't that different, barring the expense. At the appointed time, I presented myself to Mr. Von Nichols. Ah, the machine, he said. Are you ready? And I surfaced about a stand later. Mr. Von Nichols offered me his hand, and I shook it. You now have a full set. Congratulations. I thanked him and went back to the galley. Cookie and Pip both congratulated me, but I really didn't feel like it was much of an accomplishment. I was still slopping coffee and slicing bread. True, I could move up, should something open up, but having been through the whole rigmarole to find out what I might like best, the end result was I still didn't know. That all seemed unreal. Perhaps because all I really had were a collection of entries in my personnel jacket. After lunch and clean-up, Pip had convened a meeting of the steering committee on the mess deck so we could map out our strategy for St. Cloud. In my absence, they'd started a list of crew who wanted to be booth managers. Roan, Biddy, Diane, and Francis. I felt kind of miffed that I wasn't on the list, but... That would pretty much let me come and go as I pleased. I'd owe the ten creds, which they decided would be per person for the port stay and not per day fee. Made sense from a point of view of somebody selling a little something each day who might not sell a thousand creds in a single day. They'd also started compiling the list of the crew who wanted to sell something in the booth, along with what it was. There was a short discussion on scheduling their time so everybody didn't show up at once, but that was soon chucked out as too restrictive. The watch schedules would sort out some of it anyway. "'How many people are we talking about here?' I asked, thinking they were getting a little tied up in micromanagement. Pip looked at me and said, "'Seventeen. I almost choked on my coffee. Seventeen. That's almost half the crew!' I exclaimed. "'Do they know they have to chip in on the co-op?' Rome nodded. "'Oh, yeah. In fact, most of them wanted to pay before I told them. When they heard it was one percent or ten creds, most of them were willing to pay the ten creds right then. And I had to explain that it was only when they were done selling. Biddy piped up then.' Yeah, you have no idea what it's like to try to find buyers for this stuff. Those things I sold the other day, I've dragged through three systems and never sold a thing. This is just such an obvious idea, I can't imagine why nobody thought of it before. Roan added, Even the successful traders like Bev and Tabitha are in. Having our own booth beats the sneakers off and having to find somebody who wants to carry it, give it to them wholesale, and walking away. Pip nodded. Well, I know why it never occurred to me. We all looked at him. Lone wolf syndrome. I thought I was a wheeler-dealer, and then I got mugged. That was so stupid. I'm not a lone wolf being me against the world romantic anymore, and I made more in that last trade than I've made in my whole career. Then he pointed at me and grinned. It's all his fault. 
Oh, come on, I protested. Save the kissing up until this actually works. We've got a lot of work to pull this off yet. Like what? asked Francis. Well, does everybody know how to move the graph pallet? Are we all clear on how to set up the booth? Have we established who's going to handle the money? If we're going to take a percentage, we should have a cashier, and maybe that's the manager. I don't know. Where do we stow the pallet when the market is closed? Do we know where to rent the chairs in St. Cloud? Has anybody looked at the rental agreements there? I ran down rather quickly, but the group was just staring at me. Pip shook himself and pulled out his tablet. Could you uh, run through that list again, he asked, poised to take it down. Everybody laughed, and we got on with the process of organizing the co-op. I wanted Lois to be proud of us. Unfortunately, we were interrupted by the pingity-pingity-pingity of the abandoned ship alarm. We all arrived at the gym just as the announcement came for the drill, and we split up to attend to ship's business. Two days later, after the evening cleanup, the steering committee convened in the main cargo dock, and we all practiced locking, unlocking, loading, and unloading a grav pallet. There really wasn't a lot to it, but if you've never done it before, it seemed magical. The secret was in the tow handle, and Biddy had us all maneuvering pallets around like pros in less than a stand. She'd also arranged with Mr. Cotton to be able to bring our pallet back from the flea market each night and park it in the ship's cargo lock. There was a kind of vestibule where we could leave one pallet without it being in the way while we were docked. We'd have to stow it with the rest while underway, but that was only to be expected. Three days out of St. Cloud, we gathered for one last planning session. We identified sources for tables, chairs, cardstock, and markers. We had a rough idea of how to display all the various goods that the crew had brought forward to sell. We decided that we needed two tables to be able to display all the goods, so we needed a second tablecloth. Pip suggested a standard ship's blanket, but Cookie, looking in the background, tossed him a mate to the original. Officially, the cloth stayed as part of the galley store, so we were probably violating some rule, but we trusted Lois wouldn't mind. We had a schedule for booth coverage. The day was split in the middle, and nobody had to stay all day if they didn't want to. We had a list of people who'd be moving their goods up first, and another list of those who'd bring theirs along later. I was amazed, frankly. What had started with the innocent simplicity of let's rent a booth had become a paramilitary operation, complete with scheduled supply runs. Cookie was even packing bento boxes and filling thermoses. A day out of St. Cloud, Mr. Maxwell called us to the office, and we assigned the legal agreements to form the ship's cooperative formally, so we could have the accounts in the ship's ledger and keep the money straight. As a recognized sub-entity of the ship, we also stayed within the regulations on the use of rental spaces. While we were there setting up the accounting and going through the procedures with Mr. Maxwell, the captain came in. Gentlemen, she said, I don't want to interrupt, but I wanted to stop by and thank you for what you're doing for the ship. Pip and I looked at each other. Us, sir? Mr. Maxwell added his two creds worth. Yes, you. The polite response would have been, Thank you, sir, but I suppose that would have been too much to ask, he chided. Thank you, sir, Pip and I said together. I'll be frank, the captain smiled as she continued. When I first heard about this idea and that you two scallywags were involved, I had my doubts. But it's already served to improve morale aboard the ship. You boys are doing a good thing, and even if it comes all crashing down when we get to St. Cloud, the progress you've made in breaking down the barriers between our various divisions is astonishing. So I've come to thank you on behalf of the ship. Good trading, gentlemen. Thank you, sir, we said in unison again. She nodded to Mr. Maxwell and left. Well, lads, he said with a smile, I think that about sums it up. You're in business, as they say. If you'll tell me how many of the days in port you like, I'll have Mr. Von Eichel's message the orbital in behalf of the co-op, and you'll be off and running. Pip said, we're due to dock the afternoon tomorrow. The schedule says we're pulling out the morning five days later, so we'd like the four full days we have in port, please. Mr. Maxwell nodded. Easily done, 
You, you probably already know the St. Cloud Orbital has the same rental agreement as you found in Marguerite. I believe it is the same subcontractor operating the flea market here as in Marguerite, actually. Pip nodded. Yes, sir, and the same company has Dunsany Roads Orbital as well. Sir, could you request a booth, two standard tables, and two chairs, I asked. The rental agreements allow for those options, and it should amount to 16 creds per day for a total of 64 creds. Of course, Mr. Wong. Will that be the standard rental setup? Mr. Maxwell asked. I nodded, and Pip answered. Yes, sir. We have a total of 17 crew planning on using the booth over those four days, and at least three consignments, which should cover that, and then some. Which only leaves seating the account to get started, I added. We took a collection and have a hundred creds to open the accounts with. Mr. Maxwell said, That's not necessary. You already have a hundred and forty creds on your balance. Pip asked before I could, Where did that come from, sir? Forty came from you, Mr. Costas, back on Marguerite. The other hundred, he said with a smile, came from Lois. Thanks for listening to Episode 16 of Quarter Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. The music is from The Lucky Black Cat, a hornpipe in A minor, recorded by James Curran, available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.com slash golden.